Hey, all my meathead hippies. It's Emily Schramm. I'm your host. I am going to introduce myself in case you're a new listener. I have to get better at that. I am a nutritional therapy practitioner and personal trainer and health and wellness entrepreneur that's just trying to help people live their best life. So I do that through multiple avenues. Most of my things can be found on www.emilyschramm.com. If you want to fast forward and get to my host, JJ Virgin, please do so. She is a badass boss, four-time New York Times bestselling author. She's just, she's fierce. You guys are going to like her. Uh, We talk about business. We talk about, you know, exposure and really just kind of her journey, how she got to where she is. And I think you're going to dig it. Definitely in the fitness world and health world and the motivational world, but she crosses over strongly in the business world. So I think all you budding entrepreneurs are going to like it. But I did want to start with another Many Moons intro. So this is the, I don't know, the witch book of when there is something going on in our galaxy. So tonight, July 19th, is the first quarter moon in Libra. If you just eye rolled, that's okay. I would have to. Um, it just means things are going on. And I wanted to read a part of it because it's intense. So if you're feeling a little bit intense today, um, I I get it. <laughs> it's been a week and I don't know how else to explain it except reading this. You know, I I love everything that I do, but my heart can very easily get heavy. And I feel like I uh, personally take on all the things and all the feelings and I'm an empath. And so not only am I trying to take on the work life and, you know, the career and the entrepreneur, entrepreneur path, but then I take on just individual feelings and, um, frequencies. And I just, I'm so glad I went to Sylvan Esso last night. If you don't know Sylvan Esso, Google them right now, Spotify them, S Y, uh, God, S Y L V A N E S S O the most powerful voice. She's so unique and it's the only music. I mean, I can like individual songs of artists, but I've never found a band that collectively without just one album, multiple albums too, that I like every single song because their frequency, I decide, I just am so sensitive to it. It's so weird. It's such an empath thing to say. And some people are going to get this and some people aren't, but you know, a song of the radio that you listen to maybe it's even my voice that you're listening to right now. The frequency just kind of hits you wrong. It's like, and I'm really, I've always been hypersensitive to it. And I used to not think it was music. I didn't realize it was music. I thought it was just my mood. I thought it was bipolar. I'd be like, I was just fine. Why do I have anxiety? And then I would, okay, what's going on around me? Oh, it's the song. There's something in the song I don't like. And so it's just so fun to find somebody, a band, a duo where they really do always nail it. And I never feel like their frequency is going to cause me anxiety. So anyway, I'm at that concert last night and I just felt it. And I was like, this is so true. We put so much on us and then we also take in, and I talked about this the last time I did this kind of intro, but, um, I just wanted to read this for everybody that's feeling off because I think we all are. Um, so let's just start with this. As we begin to address our deep pain and our suffering, more may burst forth. This comes up to come out. Over time, time that is not linear, time that is somatic, time that is a breath of the middle of the roots of the trees that had seeds that were planted long before you knew how to crawl, this will shift and change. Give yourself all the love all the compassion, and all the space you need to simply be, simply breathe as you refrain from judgment in your own process. Your healing is ultimately for the healing of all. If you are not used to taking up space, stating your needs, fostering your gifts, nurturing your unique talents as you begin to do this work, it may feel like sabotage. You may feel guilty for taking up so much space. Darling, Take up space, all of it. 
Darling, share your natural gifts and talents, just as the eucalyptus freely wafts her fresh scent in the breeze, just as the black-tailed jackrabbit feasts on sagebrush, sagebrush, and just as the manatee floats unencumbered in the sea. You don't limit other people's space, so why would you hinder your own glittering expansiveness? You deserve to be in fully pre- you deserve to be in fully present in your body, loving and accepting all the parts of yourself. You deserve to hear your own true soul sing. During this waxing moon time, allow yourself to give yourself a little more of yourself. It benefits the collective. The high priestess, this is their tarot card, is very much a card of healing trauma by connecting to one's own intuition at an unwavering level, to opening the portal to our own underworld, our vast subconscious in order to gain our own wisdom. Justice is all about karma, all about doing what is true and right for you, independent of your programming. When the fear has been cast off like so many heavy, rusty chains, Justice also points to where in your life you must cut cords to belief systems that do not serve. The two cards, the High Priestess and Justice, tell a story of letting go of patterns that are harmful. They tell a tale of reconnecting to your personal power. There is sweet strength that surfaces when an individual can be wild and free and laugh and laugh long and open-mouthed. When they can sing and cry and process and feel safe, exactly how their mind, body, and spirit need to. These become more articulated after all the parts of yourself begin to get called back inside. You deserve to be whole. (sighs) This is so much what I'm feeling. Okay, journaling questions. I want you guys to think of this. Where have I been abandoning abandoning myself? Do I need to call my energy back? How will I do this? Where do I deserve to take up more space? How will I speak up for myself more? How will I be my own advocate? And what are some elements I want to work with more at this time? If you have trauma, I highly suggest, I can't, I love that this book recommends this. The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Bessel van der Kolk. Um, I'll link it. It's incredible. It's such a good book. And this book that I'm reading again is called Many Moons, 2018, Volume 2 by Modern Women. Oh, that feels so good. Guys, I, I just feel every single piece that I just said. Oh, it's so true. Take up more space. This is so crazy. I had a I, it's literally my post today is like, I was in the gym and I was just the only girl there, which I don't mind. I actually kind of enjoy. Cause I like being like, yeah, come at me, bro. Take my, take my 20 pound dumbbell. See what I do. <laughs> I'm so ridiculous. But I just, I know the feeling of feeling, oh my God, I'm taking too much space. I'm taking people's equipment. They look like they know what they're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying this for the first time. This is terrifying. And all these people, you, it's, I love when you, these strength programs that I do. I have six week strength programs and it's like, awesome. Here's the tools, but now you still got to do it. You still got to you know, execute. And it's so much safer in the luxury of your home or in a room where you don't take space. But I challenge you to take space because that switch, that tiny little piece of this makes me scared and intimidated. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to take this platform rack and I'm going to be here for a minute. And yes, you might not like it, but I am doing this for me. I don't care what I look like. I don't care about my angle. I don't care about my goddamn camel toe. I'm doing it for me. And here I am. I'm taking up space. I challenge you today to in whatever way makes sense to take up space. Boom. Oh God, I'm, I'm taking this challenge. That felt so good. That needed to come out of my body. I love you all. Thank you so much for the fantastic feedback for the last q and I'm, I'm just so in love with this tribe. Uh, you guys are all incredible. Enjoy this podcast with JJ Virgin. And as always, if you have questions, 
inquiries, anything, support at emilystrom.com and we'll take care of you. Enjoy. <laughs> I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. Forever. It was so fun to be on a panel with you at Paleo FX. I felt so giddy and honored. <laughs> and, and <laughs> that I, was super fun. I mean, like, how was. lucky were we? That was the coolest panel, too. Oh it my gosh. It was. It was a great way to end it the whole weekend of Paleo FX, right? So we have like panels and pictures. Everyone's just go, go, go. But like, it felt like it really like solidified what I wanted to take away from Paleo FX on that panel. So it was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Especially uh, could have gone longer. <laughs> I know we could have done like four hours. Well, that's why we're doing this meathead hippie podcast. Cause yeah, you oh. have so many great things that you do. And I am so inspired by you. Just a quick bio for everybody, even though this is mentioned in the intro, uh, a prominent TV and media personality. You have been, we were just talking about this before we hit record on Dr. Phil, Freaky Eaters on TLC, um, PBS, Dr. Oz, Rachel Ray, Access Hollywood, Today Show. If you guys don't know JJ Virgin, she is the New York Times bestselling author of four books, The Virgin Diet, Vir Virgin Diet Cookbook, The Sugar Impact Diet, and The Sugar Impact Diet Cookbook. She's a powerhouse, people, and we get to pick her brain today. So, so honored to have you. And then we're going to switch and reverse, and I'm going to be on your podcast, so we'll make sure we link all of the things. Um, I want to start just by asking, you know, I think the biggest thing is when you are in the health and fitness industry and you have such a beautiful empire that you've built and it's just, it's you, you know, it's your personality, it's who you are. It's, it's just so fun to see people that are like in alignment of what they're on the earth to do. I want to know what your first step in the fitness nutrition world was. Where did you first get into it? What was <laughs> you, the very this, first? You wouldn't have guessed this. Like I said, <laughs> well, yes. Um, it was teaching tap dance when I was 16 and teaching, and this will totally date me, Emily. You won't even know what the heck I'm talking about. Teaching tap and calisthenics. Could have yes. just been jazzercise, you know, <laughs> um, way back when I was literally taking, I was always a dancer and always worked. I used to work out with the football team in my high school because there were no like gyms back then. Yeah. And, um, my dance teacher was like, the only way you're going to get better is to teach, which is a super important takeaway because when you get to a certain level, it's true that it's the people who are really good know how to teach and especially they need to know how to teach beginners. So that's what she had me do. I started teaching tap, which by the way, I ended up, um, kind of along that journey. I went off to UCLA and I started teaching aerobics and I even taught aerobics for Richard Simmons yes. in a yoga. <laughs> um, but Along the way, that aerobics studio opened in Japan, so I went to Japan to teach aerobics, which was super cool. And they, I was so bored because I was like, you know, what else am I going to do here? I didn't speak the language, so I started teaching tap dance too. This is awesome. Well, <laughs> where these things are going to go? <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. How long were you in Japan? Just six months. Japan um, is so cool, school. isn't it? I loved it. It was harder to come back. I also came back and moved into a sorority house. Talk about like having a total reality shift because here I am in Japan with a driver and a bodyguard. And then I have to move it's living in this like amazing place with a full time housekeeper. And then I go back and move into a sorority house. It's like, okay, well, you're back. Here's reality. <laughs> right. Um, yep, I love it. Yes. And then I was working in an aerobics studio and someone called up and said they wanted me to come to their house. They didn't want to go to the aerobic studio. And that is how I became a personal trainer. And back then, we didn't even have a name for it. Mm. It was me and Mark Sis, and that was what was so funny. Mark Sis and me and Body by Jake. <laughs> I think we were the first three. We all started doing this at the same time. I mean, back before then, I guess people had just been coaches. But yeah, that was it. I remember trying to get a business license for it in, in uh, Florida, and they were like, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. You paved the way, JJ. <laughs> yeah, there were, no, there were no certifications. There was nothing. It didn't mm. exist. 
I think that is so awesome because it was like you and Mark on the panel next to me. It was just like you guys really did. I think so many and this. I was thinking of this and I recently was thinking of our panel because I think that all of us on that panel, it was like it's so easy in today's age to just see the social media platform and this online presence and want to like, okay, I know I want to get in the health and business world, or I know I want to expand my practice, but I feel like it really is the importance of that one-on-one years and years potentially of one-on-one like you you master the one-on-one <laughs> years and years and years <laughs> and years of one-on-one well a couple things that it's really important before you go online and you start doing things to massive audiences if you don't know that you can work with someone one-on-one and it, it actually works and they care you don't go to the groups you don't go to the masses right and because really all that happens when you're online is that you're still working with just one person. That's what you've always got. You're talking to one person. I mean, that's the big takeaway, as you know, on TV. You're not, when you're talking to the TV camera, you're talking to someone, that person out there who who wants what you have, who needs it, right? Mm-hmm. I always say want because no one buys what they need anyway, unless it's toilet paper. But, <laughs> you know, you've got to be able to, if you can't take your process and work one-on-one and get great results, then even a business taking it to the masses. Yeah, totally. Do you see that a lot? I feel like I've seen it more and more. It's like the rush to get to that point when it was, it's, I mean, maybe that is a, a good thing in some cases in some businesses, but especially in like the health and fitness realm it's so easy to jump to that and I just I I don't know if you see that a lot but I'm kind of like maybe we should slow down maybe you should maybe we need more uh more trial and error with your own. well I think there's a couple things number one I think we always tend to look at someone I think there's some kind of overnight success whether it's an actress a singer a sports star and then when you pull back the kimono you go oh my gosh wow look how long they've been working at this right Mm -hmm. So they all got their 10,000 hours. So that's the first part. You know, with all the social media, we're like, that person became an Instagram star in like five minutes. It's like, you know, no, probably not. And also, if you don't have any solid foundation to build on, if you don't have an education in the thing Mm -hmm. and, you know, know what you're actually talking about and proven it with people and have the social proof that what you're doing works and that people want it, right? And then you've got to realize you're building a business and, this takes time. I do a lot of health business coaching. It's like, no, you're not going to be a multimillionaire in six months. You know, it's not going to happen. You've got to give it at least three years to build this. And if you're coming in to build it for the money, go do something else. You know, I don't know what, maybe get into cryptocurrency, but this is not (laughs) do this because you can't not do it because you know that this is what you care about more than anything else in the, the world. And that, that the biggest thing for you is someone looking at you going, you changed my life. Mm. And that is more important to you than the money. And if you do that and set it up correctly, then the money will come, right? But you can't do it to chase the money. I've never done this to chase the money. I just couldn't not do it. It's what I've been obsessed with my really since I was a little kid. I so. love that. Well, talk to me about your first step into, you know, you're doing one-on-one clients. You're one of the first personal trainers that exists, right? So when did you start to say, okay, this is time I got to do more. I mean, probably just opportunities started coming your way if you're in alignment with what you're doing, right? So it was kind of what is that? What was that first big step into saying maybe I should take this online, especially where you were? You know, I well, there was I, no online. Yeah, like, that, that's a great uh, point. <laughs> that's a great point. Yeah, um, so back then we had no online, <laughs> and the first thing that I did was go. Gosh, I mean, the first thing I did was hire assistants because I thought, you know, at least then I can work more, and then. I was very fortunate. I started hiring other trainers to train with me. And that's why it's really important to have your system and your way you do things so that you can duplicate yourself into other people. Mm. Um, And then I was just fortunate. I had a client who was a self-made multimillionaire in NuSkin. And when NuSkin went into, then it was called Interior Design Nutritionals, which Flojo, the awesome track star who sadly died. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with Flojo. I know, I got to go to the gym with Flojo. Are you serious with the, she's the, guys, if you don't know, the the nails, (gasps) her and Jackie Joyner-Kersey, I grew up obsessed with them. Right? (gasps) I know. So (sighs) I... Not only did I get to go to the gym with with oh Flojo, God, that's so I cool. take her to the gym. We were she was part of IDN. She was like the spokesperson. So I'm at a meeting with her, and she goes, "God, I don't know where I'm going to work out tomorrow." I go, "I'll take you to the gym." 
And all of a sudden I go, I'm taking Flojo to the gym. Oh my like, God, I so take cool. Flojo to the gym. Ha ha ha. You know? And so I go take Flojo to the gym and the like person at the front desk, this is not my gym. I took her to the person at the front desk needs her. She's like, hi, I just need you to sign a release. I'm like, looking at her going and, you know, tell us how you like what your workout is. I'm like, oh it's Flojo, idiot. It's Flojo. <laughs> like, stop it. You know, <laughs> but, um, Oh, that's cool. That's a good, crazy, that's a really cool story. Crazy. So I had at 30, I'm this woman who, um, started, I was, I was her personal trainer and she kept saying, so I was in, I was in, I think at the time I was in, I don't know, like my fourth or fifth grad school. Cause I kept jumping schools to learn different things. And I'd done USC and doctoral school in, in nutrition and aging. And I'd done sports medicine at University of Miami. And I was like, you know, on and on. She goes, what are you, you know, what are you going to do when you graduate? Like, first she goes, why are you in school? And I go, because I want to like be able to help more people. She goes, oh, okay. Hmm. She goes, huh, well, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I go, I'm going to go to doctoral school. She's like, oh, well, what are you going to do then? I go, why are you doing that? And I go, because I want to help more people. And she goes, well, you know, you, that doesn't actually do that. Like you could go to all these schools. It's not going to help you help more people. And I'm like, it's not, (laughs) no. And she goes, I'll help you if you want. I'm like, heck yeah. I literally, Emily put all my stuff in storage, sold my business, my personal training business. I, I used to build it and sell it and move back and forth between California and Florida, like crazy woman every couple years. So I throw it all in storage, all my stuff in storage, sell my business, move into her house thinking she is going to teach me like the secrets of how to have this massive business with amazing impact. And the first thing she does is put a rubber band around my wrist. And she says, now, every time you have a limiting belief, I want you to snap your wrist. And I'm like, <laughs> what have I done? Oh my gosh, I have just done this thing. I can't believe I did this. And so, but I go along and then she has me start doing all of this personal development stuff. And I'm looking at her going, I thought you were going to teach me business. And she says, you're not ready. Wow. So that was when I learned how to really, how, how you create a business, how you need to create models. You need to be able to duplicate yourself either through other people, through technology. Um, we had very limited technology back then that meant recording an audio tape, you know, (laughs) or writing something, but all of these things. And so it just, it gave me a different way of looking at things like, like, how do I leverage myself? How do I duplicate myself? How do I create a bigger vision out there? And so once you have that foundation, as more and more technology comes out, you're able to do these things, but you have to have the mindset for it first that, wow, I do want to reach more people out there. I do have a mission. And then you also have to understand that that means that you better have something about you that they want that works that you can create as a system. And we all do. Everyone thinks, oh, no, what I do is I have to do it one on one, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I thought so, too. And what I learned on that was I was going to L.A. I had a doctor in L.A. who threw me all of these massive celebrity clients as a nutritionist. And I was doing my Dr. Phil shows and I was in his office and I couldn't get there except for one day a week. But people wanted to see me other days. So I started doing it by phone. And then I realized, and maybe you felt this way, that I was repeating myself. And I thought, you know what? I'm repeating myself. What I'll do is write this down and I'll record it. And so then I realized that all I had to do was coach them and give them the materials. And then I could put that at the time I put on a website. And then I realized that I could coach them as a group. And then I could put them into a little, we didn't have Facebook back then. Uh, you know, I said, oh, I can put them into a little group online and they can go in there. And so, you know, there were no Facebook groups, right? So we did our own group. And all of a sudden I'm going, wow, when I put people in a group and they can interact with each other, become their own accountability partners, Mm -hmm. they have a supportive community, they share ideas, they're doing better than when I was working one-on-one with them. And I just kept pulling myself more and more out and bringing people more and more in and the thing kept getting better and better. And that's how the whole online, like online programs and online groups and everything else started. And I don't know at the time that there were really many people in health even doing that. There wasn't really a format to follow. I was kind of modeling some of what my friends were doing in business and then, you know, seeing what worked and doing more of that. I love it. You are so ahead of the game. It's so, it's just, it flowed so naturally and it progressed just like it should, you know, it wasn't. There were so many blowups and things that didn't work and messed the mistakes. <laughs> like, I just didn't leave. I, I decided not to share those parts with you, but I mean, there was, 
like for all those wonderful things, there were just as many big, like big messes. Oh, shits. Going, well, that didn't work. That was stupid. Well, uh, eh, you know? well I'm going to go back. Talk, let's talk about this rubber band, um, this limited belief system. Did you feel like you personally had to work through a lot? Was there quite a bit of as you grew that your own mind was kind of your own blockade. Um, was that something that was really strong for you? Or was that just more of a good reminder to say, if this does happen, if I do doubt myself, I, I know what to do. So I think that we are all exactly where we are, because it's where we believe we can be. And that the number one determinant of our success is really our mindset. And so all along the way, like, I, you know, it's funny, I always said I'd be a uh, a millionaire by 50. And I was like, why didn't I just say 25? Like that was stupid. Why didn't I say 20? You know, I I have a stepdaughter and I go, listen, why don't we just make you a millionaire by 25? She says, okay. (laughs) You know, it's funny when I first met her, she goes, I'm going to marry a rich guy. I go, or you become a rich girl and marry whoever you want. She's like, oh, okay. You know, (laughs) I I, I, it's funny when I was on Dr. Phil, I would drive onto the lot paramount and every time i'd be walk walking in walking up to the to the dressing rooms wondering if like they were going to say what are you doing here like you're done get out of here you know i had such imposter syndrome and it actually caused me i had someone read my hands a couple years ago which i always thought was like the most ridiculous stupid thing this was maybe eight years ago she read my hand she goes you know you've got this um limelight line in your hands and you can either step into this and realize that you're going to step into the celebrity status and do this or it'll just keep chasing you'll be like the 80 year old who finally like steps into it she goes I'm like okay I will I got it you know but I I think now the way I reframed it was whenever I start to come up with that who am I to go do this who you know I don't I don't have enough credentials I don't I'm like you know not you know thin enough whatever the dumb stuff that comes up in your brain is Whenever it starts for me, I go, that's because I'm playing big enough. If I'm not playing big enough, then um, then it's totally comfortable. But there is no growth outside your comfort zone. Like you have to get to a point where you're going, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe I'm stepping into this. Like this is absolutely frightening. And it's kind of my litmus test now. When things feel easy and it's not freaking me out, I'm like, need to push harder, need to go bigger. God, I love you so much. This is so good. So we talked about this on the panel because you said, I think it was, I can't remember. It was a question that someone had asked in this kind of Q&A format. And it was about kind of the risk reward and regrets and mistakes that we make. And it was, it was just this sentence that you said, I wish I could, this is so paraphrased, but it was really like, I I feel that entrepreneurs in this type of mindset, you are born with it. And I love risk-taking. And so I would love to talk about that risk-taking when it comes to especially not beating yourself up about like this personal, when personal, this is a big question. So just bear with me for a second. But (laughs) we are, both of us, and I think a lot of people, their persona becomes their business in many ways, right? So their identity is somewhat their business. And there is some separation, but for the most part, we are what we preach and we practice what we preach and that's what people love. Uh, so it was. I'm always curious with somebody that's at the level you are and you're taking these big, big risks and you love taking these big risks and you're out of your comfort zone. How do you not, when something doesn't go the way you've thought, um, get down on yourself and take it to this very personal level of like, I failed versus my business failed? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, you know, is there anything wrong with getting down on yourself occasionally? <laughs> Excellent point. I think that's good. I think that's a good point. You know, yeah. I mean, like, it's not going to all be, you know, butterflies and sunshine and pop- puppy dogs, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, sometimes there's just going to be crappy stuff. And maybe you acted like a jerk. And you didn't do as well as you could have and you didn't behave as well as you could have. It's like, I'm trying to think of a time I've walked off every once in a while, maybe twice in all my time. And I really have done my 10,000 hours on TV and speaking. And there's maybe twice I can think of that I've walked off a set or walked off a stage and went freaking nailed that. Like Mm -hmm. I nailed it. Usually I walk off stage. I'm like, well, damn, (laughs) I should have done X and that, right? Like, and then I kick my ass 
over and over again. And then I get sick of myself and then I go, okay, stop. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and is that, you know, I don't know, like, I don't do too much of it, but like, you know, I do, we all like, we do some of that. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I really appreciate your honesty in that because it's, for me, it, that is how I evolve. It's like, I see my, I see my weakest points and then I have to work on it. And that's how I oh, keep. Emily, <laughs> you're going to love this. I did this talk. And when I was, I had this primetime pilot with ABC and they had this really amazing stylist and she bought me all my clothes. Well, I got to, I got to take some of that stuff with me. So I was wearing, I was doing a lecture for a load of doctors and there were like hundreds of doctors. And, and so I did this big workshop for them and then you get all of the, um, all of the critiques and they're like, she was amazing. Oh my God, she changed her. Like all this incredible stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and then someone goes, I don't like her shirt. <laughs> okay. Literally. I still remember this, right? I still remember this. Someone oh, goes, I don't like her shirt. And then someone else like, she, all she talks about is when she's on TV now. Okay. I remember these. This yeah. was probably 10 years ago. Do I remember the exact things that people said about what went well? Nope. I remember that someone didn't like my shirt. They thought it was too tight, which I was like, ABC, who's super conservative and made me wear jackets and couldn't show my arms, had me wear this. But you so, have great arms. But that's the, I know, they didn't want me to show them. Uh, <sighs> you know, but I remember that. And I remember someone being like, I, she talked to me on her celebrity client. I was like, going, I remember those two things. I don't remember the other stuff. So I almost think that's kind of the human condition. And we have to focus on, okay, what went well today? Because it all comes down to the questions you ask, you know, totally. <laughs> like what, how, you know, what stuff did I look at? But then I heard that Tony Robbins will listen to, and it's funny, I just went to a couple of his things and went, wow, he just repeated the exact same thing. Like, like the facial, the facial, uh, structure. Every single thing was like saint. And I remember hearing him, uh, someone say, yeah, he watches all the tapes and sees what the audience responds to and then owns that. Wow. So, and I'm sure goes through and went, well, that flopped. And so one of the things that I've made it a practice to do with my live audiences, and especially if I'm physically on a stage, now this is probably an insane thing to do, but I will use a live audience to test new material, just like maybe a, you know, a comedian would go to a small comedy club, except I normally will do it in like a big audience and just test it out because yeah. I'm there. And I always make sure if I'm going into a new audience uh, um, or to an audience that I bring in something new to see how it rolls, which means that. it could totally flop. And it has, you know, <laughs> and if it does, I make fun of it because we all knew it flopped. So I better recognize that, hey, that one didn't go well. You know, yeah, the sense of humor always helps. Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And then they're on your side, too, because no one likes a perfect person. Like no one wants no one wants to hang out with the person who looks like, you know, they woke up that way and they're like always perfect. And no one likes this perfect. Yeah. No, no, no. I agree. I think that's perfect. And I actually, it does remind me of comedy before you even said that, because I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast recently about, you know, how they practice and how it's such an art. And I think that people forget that, I mean, you, you have mastered this art of public speaking. And it's something that I like, it's so, um, it's definitely the vision board for me is like, I have to, I want to master public speaking because it used to terrify me. It was some, I mean, it was my biggest fear. If I had one fear, it used to be public really? speaking. Really? I always hear that from people <laughs> yeah. and I can't, I just can't. Were you well, always just a natural at it? You know what? I wanted to be a stage actress. Like, so oh, my shoot, whole dream yeah. was to be a theater actress. I actually went to UCLA on a theater scholarship. And prior to that, I went to ACT in San Francisco, the American Conservatory Theater. And when you go through acting classes, they make you do the most ridiculous <laughs> stuff. And and then I was always a dancer on stage. So, yeah, the tap you know, dancing. You, yeah, the tap dancing. And so you kind of get over like, you know, oh, I'm going to look like an idiot on stage because you you did it. Like, yeah. you know, you'd have to do silly stuff. So, I mean, and, and now one of the things that I bring into my mastermind groups is we bring in, in fact, we're doing it this weekend, we're bringing it into our group, we do improv. I think that is so smart. And I think, I wish I would, I think every kid should do that, right? Like, we, we need to know at a young age that it's so okay to be stupid and not be comfortable. And okay, so here's a funny one. And this is what I had to do with one of my kids who was so afraid of coloring outside the lines, right? And in life, you know, I, one of my kids when he was in 
kindergarten, he took all the other boys and, and had them pee in the um, outside playhouse. And he got in so much trouble and he and my ex-husband had to go clean it. And I was like so happy about the whole thing. I thought it was awesome. Great leadership. You know, I was like, this is amazing. Okay. And like my kids look at me like mommy's crazy. But the other one didn't, you know, he, he had to, everything had to be perfect. He'd write something down. If it wasn't perfect, he'd throw the paper away, which is so me, by the way. I've got like total OCD on that. And so what I had to do was pay him to color outside the lines. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's what I did. I was like, okay, we're coloring outside the lines. Okay, you know, that changed everything. <laughs> so, And it's funny with personalities, personality personas, like extrovert, introvert, really teaching people about that. Because I was, I'm an extrovert, but still being afraid of public speaking, I just didn't understand it. So I think it was just the, the practice, the like being afraid or being okay with making a fool of myself, which... But people like it better. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, true. so, so here's a funny one. When I was, when I was doing interior design nutritionals, there was one speaker who I was obsessed with because he, he just, I loved his whole mannerism. His name was Craig Bryson. He had the worst hair ever. He'd always laugh, joke about how he's having had bad hair day. And the first time I heard him speak, I was like, Oh my gosh, this guy's the greatest speaker I've got to, I'm, I'm going to learn how he does this. So I started following him around. And what I discovered was all these things that he did that he looked like he was making mistakes while he was speaking. He'd fumble. He'd, they were totally rehearsed. Stop. Really? Because no one likes the perfect person. Mm. You got to get the audience on your side. You want them to go, oh my gosh, look at that poor girl. Look at what her look at her hair. <laughs> right? You know, you know. It's like it's like you you want them with you. And if you are not approachable, if they can't see that you you know you're scared too. And you've got challenges too, and you're just like them. They tune out. Like, think about it. If you're looking at some, like, like let's say that you're listening to Giselle Bunchen speak, mm. and she's talking about how hard is, her life is. Are you listening to her? I'm not listening. <laughs> no. Right? Yeah, totally. And I actually have a hard time with that with social media. I know that this is over talked about, but it's so true. It's like I want people to stop filtering their fucking pictures so much because. Exactly. Oh my God, this is not real life. It's Even if you're a business, it does. Yeah. Yes. It's I, so I make a point of doing my lives and I'll run in from the gym. And so here's what's so funny. So I'm doing, a, I do Facebook and Instagram lives together and I'm on and some, some troll gets on there and says, you don't look so healthy, right? She posts that. So I, I know we're supposed to ignore them, but I don't ignore them. I bring them on in and I, wow, wow. I don't remember who the name Like, Let's say it's Jenny. Wow, Jenny, that's kind of a meanie poo statement that you just made saying I don't look healthy. What do you guys think? Do I look healthy? Do I not look healthy? I mean, I just came in from the gym. I don't have any makeup on. And they're like, no, you look healthy. And then one person's like, well, you could use some lipstick. I'm like, yeah, I probably should have thrown some on, but I just like, I wanted to get on and do this with you, you know? And it's real. And, it's real, <laughs> right? <laughs> sure. And it, you know, it's like, of course, I could I could have a makeup artist here and look totally glam, and that would be ridiculous because we don't wake up most of us with makeup artists around. So you know, I'll still have those pictures in there, but that's not real life. You know? yeah. No, totally. Well, I and actually, before I forget this, because I have this highlighted, can you talk to me about your first? Was Doctor Phil your first experience with TV and kind of that whole process, or had you no, done a that couple? Would be very bad. So, and this is the thing: I coach a lot of health people, and they're like, "I want to get on Doctor Oz." I'm like. That's great, but not until you've like flubbed it on some local shows first. <laughs> Hello. So I um I had moved back from North Carolina to Palm into Palm Springs and I needed to build a business fast because it was when I discovered that my then husband wasn't gonna work anymore. He decided he didn't want to practice law anymore and he wasn't gonna like he was gonna play tennis. So I was like, all right, well, <laughs> I gotta haul haul it and build a whole business very quickly. So I'm going to use TV, right? Mm -hmm. And so I thought this will be easy. It's Palm Springs. And so I started getting on TV all the time. So that was that was helpful because I learned some really important things like you need to use powder. We taped a whole segment at one of my girlfriend's house on how to make lunches for healthy lunches for kids. Um, and it was like a four-hour taping and I never put powder on once. And I'm like looking going, why does my face look wet? 
I mean, it was yes. like, oh my god, I'm laughing so hard because oh, my so... nine, my nine <laughs> new segments, I'm so shiny. I'm like, oh my god, I just don't even think about powder because it's who so wears powder? Ridiculous. I know powder. <laughs> so you got to be super duper duper powdered. And then you know, then the next one was you should also not have your hair lying right over your face, so all they see is your nose and you look like cousin it. So I learned that one. I also learned to make super good friends with the cameraman and the lighting guy because they can make or break you. So, and exactly what to wear. Like, oh gosh, you know. Maybe tell me your do's and don'ts on this. Yeah, do's and don'ts on not what not to wear because I might need lessons on this. Well, you know, do a whole check on it. Can a booby fall out? Because if it can. You know, like I don't really have much there, but it can still be where it shouldn't be. And no so, you know, check, check everything, tape it, you know, and, and like I remember ABC wanted me to wear this yellow workout top on this that primetime pilot I was on. And they had like three nipple covers over and I'm like, oh, and this still ain't working here. You know, it's like maybe the top, maybe we shouldn't wear a pale yellow top. I don't know. Um, so. You know, make sure nothing shows, nothing, no little hint that you might have a nipple. Nope, you look like you got to be an alien, nippleless alien. Um, and that it's a color that really suits you. I actually have had my colors done and all my stuff, if you notice, it's all branded in this color palette. It's for a reason. Like if I'm talking about sugar, I have blues and pinks I wear. If I'm talking about the virgin diet, they're jades and greens I wear. If I'm talking about warrior mom, they're blues that I wear. So it's all done very, very strategically. And then I do this thing on TV and, and I know what works for me. I've worked with a stylist. I don't wear silly stuff. Like when I was first on Dr. Phil, I was so broke. It was ridiculous. And so I was like, running to Steinmark to buy these things that looked like I looked at one thing I was wearing I was like oh my gosh what was I like why how did that happen to me so it's really making sure that you're wearing things that look good on camera I, I don't wear patterns simple colors you know not too much in the way of makeup or or jewelry that looks you know, unless that's your brand, it's not my brand. (laughs) Talk to me about your brand. Like how did it take you a while to kind of feel like you had this brand of JJ Virgin and the Virgin diet or was it just, did it just evolve over time or as someone that I think it might be part of your personality of like, did you do the whole thing at once or did you let it kind of happen over time? What whole thing? What whole thing? The whole thing. Well, I'm just very impressed with man. It's like here's the thing. Just we, I'm really keen on personal brands because if you are your personal brand, then if you decide, like, if I one day go, you know, I don't want to talk about diets anymore. Maybe I want to now talk about beauty, or um, you know, I'm going to go back and really hit fitness again. I can do that within my personal brand, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what's super cool about it. Um, but, you know, the thing that, that I've always stayed true to is I am direct. If you know me for two seconds and you saw me on that panel, I'm direct. Mm-hmm. But in a kind way, what I call tough love with love. Like, I'm not going to be mean, but I'm also not going to say, you know, it's totally okay that you ate the cookie. You had a bad day. That's fine. I'm going to go, you know, you need to put the cookie down. Like what we need to look at is when you have a bad day, what are some other options you can do? Because this is not okay, right? So, you know, you just got to figure out what is your personality. I'm really, some of these people on Instagram, I'm like, wow, it's so cool what you could do. I can't do that. That's (laughs) who I am, you know? (laughs) I'm not going to be standing in my bikini on Instagram, ever. (laughs) It's never happening. So you just got to get super, super clear on who you are and then, You'll attract those people. Like we just did a thing at my house this weekend because I'm getting ready to do some home shopping stuff and we needed testimonials. So we brought over some of our top people in the community. And what was so amazing is these people were just like me and they all loved each other because they were all so similar. And I didn't have to be anyone but who I was, which I won't be anyway, and didn't manage to make anybody mad because the people who are mad aren't there. Because I'm not, I'm not a fit for them, and that's totally cool. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're trying to make everybody love you, nobody will care about you. Like, yeah. that's you know how that works, yeah, right? Totally. So, what your job is is to reach, is to be uniquely you, and then you're going to get those people that resonate with, well with you. You're not going to be friends with everybody. Like, you know, 
right? Yeah. I so love why, that. I, it's, everybody. it's silly. Perfect because it's so much, it takes off the focus of what you're trying to sell, the product you're trying to sell, the people you're marketing to. It goes right straight back to who are you and what are your fundamental beliefs? Like what? It, Obviously, you love this. Obviously, this lights you up and you can't imagine seeing yourself do anything else. And then just staying true to who you are and literally being you is what attracts the right people. I, it takes yeah. everything out. All the middleman, all the extra guessing, all the things that people just dwell so much on is, is this the right product? Is it the right program? Am I selling it right? It's like, I, I really appreciate that. because You know what's so amazing? I'll tell you this. I have done some online programs where I've done everything exactly right per strategies and funnels and all that and marketing and all that stuff and they've failed. Mm -hmm. And then I go out and do the stuff that I'm in love with that I've worked one on one with other people. They've gotten amazing results. I talk to people about it and they're like, Oh my gosh. And we've had, you know, an ugly website and crappy. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. You know, we get all bogged down. We spent, I brought this this creative director in. He was going to make everything so pretty. It didn't make one difference. Mm -hmm. Not one difference. You know, when I just go out and be me and talk about what things can get in the way of you losing weight and even cause you to gain weight and how if you figure out what you're intolerant to in terms of food and what's going on with, with sugar impact and maybe you need some things to help your metabolism, that's, that's my, that is it. That is my jam. The other stuff, like the minute I try to go outside of that, I've tried it too. That's why I say, and it's just a flop and I don't like it either. So, you know, I won't do it. People will ask you, like, they'll come and they go, oh, you should talk about this. Like, I just... The other day, they said, you should start a clinic. I'm like, I'm not starting a clinic. Like, I'm not doing that, you know? <laughs> so It doesn't excite you. It seems no, like. No, it doesn't. And it's, it doesn't. I love this because it's like maybe on paper that makes complete sense for yeah. somebody to like naturally evolve into a clinic and then it becomes their thing. But if if something that's like on paper, it's just like going and getting a degree for something that you wanted when you were five, right? It's like, if it doesn't fit when you're at the, like, just let I it go. I dropped out of my PhD program because I was like, I've learned everything that I want to learn here. And, you know, at the time when I was studying all the nutrition, it was like, you really got to become a dietitian. I go, but I don't believe in what they're preaching. So I cannot do it. I mean, I have so many friends who went and got their dietetics degrees and either have walked away from their license, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, it's like because they got in trouble. I was like, oh boy, right? Or yes. they're, they've started this whole integrative dietetics stuff. So, you know, you got to just be true to yourself and it all works out. So every time I try not to do that, that I've in the past, it's, it's been a flop. I love so, that you said I just that. Want to do it. Yeah, and it just because it's radiating from you, it's who you are, and then it'll be that. It's just so much more successful because you're not fighting against something that I know. Like, Plus, it's easy. You don't have to go. Who am I? Who am I today? Who am I? You know? Why am I doing this? Like, what's the difference <laughs> of? It's just like going to nine to five, right? Like, why? This is why we do this. Is because we are able to create something beautiful. So just keep creating it in alignment with yourself. That's so cool. I love that you said that. T talk to me about the. Let's do some tough love with love. I think this is good. So this will kind of get into your books that you've written, and really kind of the premise of the Virgin Diet and Sugar Impact is, you know. Probably the most question I get, actually, I get a lot, but really like for my new people, the, how do you stay motivated? Um, and I, I have, you know, of course tried to answer this in as many ways as possible, but I would like from your approach of someone's coming to you, the, the virgin diet, they're picking up the book and they're ready to make a change yet. They are still, you know, the motivation after a week is kind of starting to go away and the sugar is starting to look really good and the food that they think they might not do well with is starting to smell really delicious. How do you help somebody through that process um, as they're learning to kind of take control of their life again? So there's one thing that has to happen and that is the key most critical thing. Um, and I'll give you an example. So I launched the Virgin Diet when my son was in a coma, nearly died um, he was actually hovering between life and death in the hospital. He was there for four and a half months. And I launched the Virgin Diet bedside with him in a coma. And I think that it got to be so much more successful. It was 26 weeks on the New York Times. I mean, you know, just crazy successful. Still, like to this day, we're still selling all these copies and people yeah. on the program. And I really believe that one of the reasons it became so successful is I stood in that hospital. I looked at my son and I said, 
you are going to be 110%. You're going to be better than before the accident. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make sure that happens. And I knew that one of the things that was going to have to happen was that this thing was going to have to be a success because if I failed at the virgin diet, I'd invested all my money and I would have been bankrupt. And you can't help your kid um, save their life with no money. <laughs> you know, yeah. it ain't happening. Yeah. So I didn't have an option. I had an island I needed to take and I burned all the books, right? And and I think that the challenge we have, and when I listen to people's languaging, they go, oh, I'm so excited about your program. I'm going to try it. I go, then don't do it. Because if you're going to try it, you already told me that you gave yourself an out. How about instead we look at why are you doing this? What's the big outcome that you are doing this for? And let's make that non-negotiable. Let's make that so real, so critical, so important, so that you know, when the chips show up, you know, when the ice cream that you'll just look at that and you'll go, no, I'm not bringing the enemy into the house. Yeah, I know why I'm doing this. And then we can put th some things in place to help ensure that you get successful. Number one is the, is the right structure, right? You know, you got to have the right structure. So if you have the more structure, structure gives you freedom. So if you have the structure of, you know what you're having for breakfast, you know what you're having for lunch, you know, you know what to do if you end up like you always have some, I, I'm not a fan of snacking, but I always make sure that I have a bar, one of my bars in my purse so that if I'm hungry when I'm out, I don't, I'm not screwed. The backup, right? so, the backup option, right? Totally. You always have that. You always have your emergency food. So you put structure in, you get an accountability partner so that if you are going sideways, you can call them. They're like your lifeline, right? And then you have a supportive community because in, in the average person, if they have a community, it's the community that goes, oh, it's okay. Have a pizza, right? Oh, it's okay that you messed up. Instead of holding you to a higher standard and going, I expect better from you. I know you can do better than this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you need to have a community who's going to help raise you up, not say it's OK when, you know, it's like, yeah, we you're going to screw up here and there, but you're going to learn from those so you don't do them again. And they're going to help you so that you keep going and you don't fall off the rail. And you don't go, oh, I had a bad day. So now I'm going to have a bad another bad, day. you know, all that crap that we do. And then make sure that you've got a coach of coach that really believe in. And I think that, you know, I know with me, the big changes in my business really happened when I started to have a coach, when I started to be in a mastermind group and I really found people who are where I wanted to be and I hired them and I paid more than I could afford. And that is so key and critical in the perfect world. When we were bringing people in to be successful on programs, we would be able to charge them more than they could afford because then they'll pay attention. Oh, that is so true. I feel like there's times where people are like, well, why don't you offer it for free or what's it like a seven day? Because free I know I do do a seven day free challenge because I think in the world of health, people have gotten to the point where they're so they've lost hope because they failed so many times. There's so many options. Right. And then they're all yeah, kind of just bullshit. like, <laughs> yeah. but, right, I know. And it's like ridiculous. But at that point, at the end of seven days, it's like, okay, come on now. Now here are the options that you need to take. Mm -hmm. And you need to commit and you commit with your time and you commit with your wallet. That's the bottom line, you know, and you know, that's the biggest thing I see with people and I'll call them out on this because I always find that free brings free loaders and we're doing a disservice to you. I, over the years when I've worked with clients and, you know, tried to help that person and I went, whenever I do this for free, it never seems to work. Yeah. It never seems to work. So I love that you said that I even have, so I have like this free holiday challenge so that people, you know, it's kind of this fun little eight day, but the 21 day thing, I, it's so funny because I've had clients that I used to train in person. So I would just give them access to it because they're already a client and then they would literally come back to me in the next, next session. This is a couple years ago. My, my dear client, Megan, she goes, I have to pay for it. Refund me so I can pay for it because I won't do it unless I pay for it. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my, I'm so glad you said that. I never would have known that that's, it's a commitment when you do that. It's, it is something that you expect and you want from your clients. You don't want those people that just want the quick answers because this stuff, this type of work and journey and not diet, but lifestyle, right? It is a diet, but it's this more of a lifestyle that we're trying to impart on them. It's like, it's not easy. It's not effortless. It takes effort. So, um, you have to commit to it. And in order to commit to it, that's, you got to be ready to work. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that. So talk to me about your journey to the sugar impact diet and your, your step into that direction. Well, this is what's really, um, an important takeaway because I created the sugar impact diet 
because after I wrote The Virgin Diet, one of the biggest questions I got asked was about sugar. I didn't sit in my, uh, in my office behind my desk and go, what should I do next? I talked to people and kept getting the same question. Mm-hmm. And that is how I create things. I don't create things sitting over here going, oh, I want to do blah, blah, blah. I create things, I co-create with my community based on what they're asking for. Mm-hmm. And that is so important because if you create something that you love without any, any proof of concept, you could create a whole thing that no one cares about but you. So literally, when I wrote The Virgin Diet, it, The Virgin Diet started out as six foods, gluten, dairy, eggs, corn, soy, peanuts. And because these are all the highest um, food intolerance foods based on IgG and um, uh, genetic testing. Genetic testing for gluten and for dairy and then IgG testing for wheat and dairy and then corn, eggs, soy, peanuts. But what I didn't realize is that if you pull those foods out and don't tell people not to have sugar, that they will just go eat a boatload of it. I was like, oh my gosh, because Emily, I don't have the sweet tooth. So like, I don't really like sugar. So I, I was like, what are they doing? So I learned very quickly. I was like, wow. And that's why you don't just go write a book. You got to do a test to see what works before you write the book. (laughs) So then I was like, all right, well, clearly I got to put sugar in. So I put the sugar in. But then what was crazy was I did that. And then um, after the book came out, so I added sugar into the seven foods. That's why it was six, seven, not six. But at that point, I kept getting all these questions about sugar. People were like, but it's just honey. It's okay. It's all natural. I'm like, arsenic and mercury are natural. Like, this, that, that doesn't work. And, you know, oh, it doesn't have any calories. It's fine. It's Blenda. I'm like, uh, no, it's not. So I realized I had to really focus on this because people were either confused or worse than that, they were controlled. They were addicted. I mean, it is our number one recreational drug of choice. I got that line from Dr. Mark Hyman, got to give him credit. And I, and people are addicted. It's, it is our biggest addiction, right? Biggest legal addiction. So that's where, and I really looked at it and went, we are looking at sugar all wrong. This glycemic index was a great start, but it really actually created a bigger problem because if you look at what it did, it, um, it made us think agave is a health food. Mm. Because it reads low on the glycemic index. And agave is the worst of all. The worst of all. I mean, when you look at it, anything that's super high in fructose, that is going to make your gut leakier. It is going to make you insulin resistant. It's going to make you store fat. It can give you fatty liver. It is absolutely detrimental. And it's all over the place. Because we were looking at sugar all wrong, thinking the glycemic index was everything. So that's why I was like kind of going, I'm just compelled to create a new way to look at sugar where we incorporate the insulin response so that we can look at things like artificial sweeteners and go, huh, what's this really doing here? I mean, what do we know about Splenda that it changes your whole gut microbiome to be glucose intolerant in a week, a week, which is insane, right? Yeah, Yeah, a week. (laughs) I feel sorry for the poor people that were doing that study. Uh, and it's how many people ha- are addicted to those little yellow packets. You know, that's a huge addiction to stop. Isn't it funny uh, how many little packets there are now? It's so like, it's so bizarre. Like, there's all these little packets. There's pinks and blues and yellows and white, greens. browns. It's like, what the hell is all this? Because we you need know? that. It's just like snacks, right? Snacks. And we need we need something to put into our tea and our coffee. It's just like these habits. that It's just so hard to break it. But it, it is so important just like how it's connected what you said to the microbiome and our insulin response like those are the fundamentals of our health and so if we can look at it from that lens that you're putting it in through your books and through your work it's just it makes it more accessible to change the patterns that we do day to day and that's what I mean what I set out to prove with that uh, was that I could take the toughest cases because that's what I did I put 700 people through a program and they were my sugar addicts (laughs) so I took 700 sugar addicts who basically people who'd failed on the virgin diet and then I went and spoke at Brendan Burchard's and people there and then uh, Dr. Sarah Gottfried some of her sugar addicts so I put all those people together and what I set out to prove was that in um, two weeks I could get you totally free of your sugar habit Mm. and that's what I did which was so flipping cool 
is to prove that you could actually break free, even if this had been a lifelong disaster for you, right? Yeah. I love it too, because I think what you did for those 700 people and many more that followed are shifting the identity of this is just who I am. This is what I have. This is this is just, this is it. And I've given up because this is it. It's really cool because once you change their identity, then they're now able to start from scratch and do whatever they really want to do. Like you're peeling back layers when we're looking at getting rid of those addictions. It's changing mm -hmm. who they are and getting them to figure out who they actually want to be. It's so cool. It's so much more, you know, it's just awesome. It's to the eye, it's just sugar, but it's so much more than that. It goes really deep, really quickly. <laughs> I love it. Well, my last question for you, this has been fun. I am glad that we, I get to go on yours now so we can continue this conversation um, in a different lens. I would love to know, I ask all my guests this, I'm obsessed with spirit animals. Do you have a spirit animal? I do. You do? I was thinking about this. I saw you and asked that. And first I was like, oh gosh, really? <laughs> You're really asking that question. Of course I <laughs> and am. Then I was like, oh, it's so obvious what my spirit spirit animal is. It's so, and in fact, it's so obvious. This is what's so super cool. I asked my husband if he could figure out what my spirit animal was. And he said, yes. And he said the same thing. I'm so curious if I'm going to guess. So, well, you know, I wrote, so I have. I have the four books you talked about. I also have this book called Six Weeks to Sleeveless and Sexy. That was before I knew how to put books out. And then my latest book is called Warrior Mom because my son was the victim of a hit and run and nearly died and I fought for his life. And, and my whole thing was not on my watch. And I am absolutely the same tenacious way with people who I'm coaching with, with my other son. And it is that I am a massive mama bear. <laughs> mm, yeah. I love it. So you're a bear. So I'm a bear. That's perfect. Bear. And your husband guessed that too. He totally gets it. <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you think you are? And he was throwing some things out. I'm like, you're not that. So we haven't figured his out yet, but it'll we come. It'll come. I love it. I, I don't know why, but I'm just, it's one of those things. It's just like I personality tests, right? So when I figured out my Enneagram and, you know, the Myers-Briggs, it just helped put uh -huh. the pieces of the puzzle together. Doesn't it? So Have you done the color code personality? <gasps> what is that? Oh, you must do these. So here's, so it's so funny. When I met my husband and I met him on Match, I made him do the color code personality, which is there's four primary driver colors and you go back and they don't change over life. Red, yellow, blue, and white. Red is power. Yellow is fun, blue is intimacy, and white is peace. And that that helps you get along with people so well. Like both my companies, we know everybody's colors, and it just helps you understand them. Because blues, my I have one son who's a blue. He's highly sensitive, and he's highly sensitive to criticism and everything else. I'm a red. You can't. You say something to me, I'm like, eh. You know, it's like it just doesn't hit me. Oh, I'm totally but I a blue. You know, I don't even realize. I was like, I hurt your feelings. I didn't even like, oh, sorry. You know, like we don't even realize, you know, that we did it. So, you know, it's so good to know. And yellows are super fun and playful, but they'll just kind of be late. They forget, you know, <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, just can't we all get along? So it just makes it so easy to understand. So you can, there's one. And then the Colby is another one we have everyone in the company take. Colby. And How do I spell that? Colby. K-O-L-B-E. Okay. Cool. Um, and it helps you, like, uh, the first one is if you're a fact finder. The next one is if you've got good follow through. The next part of it is if you are a quick start. And the last one is if you are an implementer, you build things. And I'm all quick start. Most entrepreneurs are. And which means we will leave a path of destruction in our wake. Because we start, we're like, yay! And then we go, like, I'm bored. Walk away, start a new thing. Uh, and so what I know is that I need to have people who are really high in the the um, implementation, follow through, and fact finding because I'm not going to do it. So it's <laughs> it's um, it helps to put people in the right positions. And then the other one that I had my husband take was the love languages, and we oh. actually use those in business too. I love um, that one because then we know how to support and celebrate someone. Like my my love languages are touch and words of appreciation. I was dating a guy who was gifts. 
he gave me so many presents. I ran to a therapist. I'm like, this is so stupid. This guy's giving me so many presents. I should be so grateful. I can't breathe. I feel smothered. I need to run away. I don't want them. You know, I feel like a burden. You know? Yeah, totally. I just, I'm words and acts of service. That's definitely my love language. Yeah, it's so, my, my ex-husband was acts of service and he kept doing all these things for me. I'm like, why don't you just get a job and we'll pay someone to do it, you know? So it's, it's so helpful if you understand this. For everybody watching, if you haven't done this, yet it's physical touch words of affirmation um acts of service quality time and yes. then yes right yeah yes yeah have you done any, have you done enneagram yeah i'm You're, trying to remember which one it's you have funny. to be an eight yeah eight that's my <laughs> i was with um you know i'm a member of this thing called the transformation leadership council i think it was marcy shimoff she's like you're an eight i'm like okay for sure <laughs> you're an eight <laughs> Every, every single personality test is like, okay, I always end up, you know, I'm an ENTJ, I'm an eight, I'm a red, like I'm all, it's, I am it's, an ENTJ as well. We're campaigners. That's well, I mean, we kind of <laughs> both knew that. I think. And then did you do, um, Sally, do you know Sally Hogshead? Oh my gosh. You're just so fascinating. Mind. No, so she has another really cool one. And on that one, I'm a maestro. So there's, that's another one we bring, we bring these to, to usually every year this year, we're doing Brendan, Brendan, my coach, Brendan Burchard. He was my coach for my books, um, is coming in and he's got a high performance habits assessment. So we're going to be doing that, but we always do one each year. Cause I believe they really help you relate well, mm-hmm. better to every person because you don't come from who you are. You come from who they are and how to relate to them and their way they understand, which is super important because the most important thing people really want to be is heard and understood. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's so, so true, especially in, in business and relationships and life and all of it. I think especially in life they do. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, that's good. I'm going to link all of these Sally Hogshead with Cole. Colby, colorcode.com. This is perfect. Um, well, JJ Virgin, it was such an honor to have you on Meathead Hippie. And I can't wait to talk, talk more. Yes. To be continued. To be continued. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>